0: Hey, welcome to In Doubt. My name is Daniel Markin and today I'm joined by Julia Baisley, who is a friend of the show. Welcome back, Julia.
1: Thank you. My pleasure to be here.
0: It's good to have you join us again. And uh, the last time that you were on, we had a, quite a, um, should we say like a, a difficult conversation, one that people often don't want to talk about that's super dark uh, but we talked about pornography and the effects of human trafficking and how all of these different things play out, because to many different extents, this is kind of the field of work that, that some of the stuff you're doing is involved with, right? So, Julie, would you would you remind our listeners what exactly your line of work is, your what your ministry is?
1: Sure. So, I work as the Director of Public Policy for the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, We're uh, the National Association of Evangelical Christians in Canada. So I work out of our Centre for Faith and Public Life, which is located in Ottawa. And what we do there is we engage with the government and in the courts on issues that are of concern to the evangelical community. And over the last, gosh, I don't know how many years now, (laughs) quite quite a number of years now, we've really had a, a, a significant focus on issues of sexual exploitation and the, the progression was interesting it started with human trafficking when the awareness of that started to increase and it became um, something that was actually in our criminal code and then um, that kind of led us into the issue of prostitution because we said hang on trafficking doesn't happen if there's no prostitution because that's its end point and and then as we were working on the issue of prostitution And we started to say like what is what's the commonality here what is what is upstream of these other forms of sexual exploitation and that led us to the issue of pornography so at this point you know it's a really holistic approach to these issues kind of as one in the same right like you can't you can't talk about um trafficking without talking about prostitution and you can't talk about those things without talking about the impact of pornography and what we would call a pornified culture in mm-hmm. driving these things. And that, of course, has other impacts as well. You know, we hear all kinds of talk about rape culture um, and what we're going to talk about today, the hypersexualization of, of young people and people generally, really.
0: Yeah. And as I remember about our conversation last time, too, we we talked through the different effects of pornography, but it was just amazing to hear, like, w- w- we shouldn't be surprised, and there was one, one line that you had that was in regards to pornography. It, you said, it's not a matter of if, but when. When are people now exposed to it? And th- what we're talking about today is we're kind of doing a movie review sort of thing when we're looking at Cuties. The movie, if you're not familiar with it, Cuties was a film that was in the Sundance Festival, was highly celebrated in France, And uh, just some of the history of it. Netflix picked up this independent film. And the movie is about, uh, I believe they're 11 years old, these girls, who get involved through a series of events in their life where the main character, who is of Senegalese descent, but she's living in Paris. And so coming from kind of an Islamic background, living in this hyper-sexualized France as an 11-year-old, she gets involved with a school club where they start to do uh, kind of dancing. Now, I haven't seen the movie, but my understanding from what I've read is that the, the type of dancing that they do is very reminiscent of what you would call softcore porn. And so the one of the first things that hit the media was they Netflix released, hey, a coming soon film, and I believe the poster was a bunch of these girls in sexualized positions, and it was called cuties, and that got enormous backlash. And so Netflix quickly switched out their uh, the poster, and they had it. I think as a picture of some of the the main girls going for like uh, like a shopping spree or something. After that, the uh, the movie got released to Netflix, and people began to see it, and were horrified with what they saw. In the sense that it's 11-year-old girls. Uh, twerking, dancing, and there was a lot of up close shots of their private areas. And so basically, it's h- created a huge controversy, was very not well received by many. And then it, it just the movie dropped in the middle of a culture war and people were like quitting Netflix, like boycotting Netflix and telling them to take it down. And meanwhile, you have other people saying, no, this is amazing. Look what the conversation it's bringing to our culture. So basically, we're we're going to talk about this movie today, and we have a lot to say. But was there, was there anything else that you would add to that brief summary of the film?
1: Um, yeah, so the description on Netflix says, you know, this is a story of an 11-year-old girl who starts to rebel against her conservative family's traditions when she becomes fascinated with the dance crew. So, you know, it, when I was initially contacted about this, and if I had anything to say, I'm like, I have so many thoughts because there were just so many things that uh, that troubled me and that you know came to my mind as I watched this film. So, the main character, her name is Amy. She's this Senegalese girl, and it it follows her progressive sexualization. Mm -hmm. as she tries to gain favor with this group of girls, this dance club called the Cuties, which is not, I mean, it's not really a formal dance club. It's like a little clique, really. Um, But they participate in dance competitions. So she wants in on that. And it's actually her progressive sexualization that kind of gets her in with them. And she ends up taking them further down this road. Um, And all the while is, you know, rebelling from her traditional conservative family. So the writer and director, I believe, called her film a social commentary. And it's meant to shed light on the dangers of sexualizing young girls. So she actually considers it to be a deeply feminist film um, with an activist message and kind of a a mirror held up to society. She said she got the idea after watching a group of 11-year-old girls in a Paris neighborhood dancing in these really hyper-sexualized ways. And so she spent some time interviewing preteen girls and just sort of asking them like how how do you feel about femininity in today's society how do you feel about your self image in this era of social media and so that's all good right and having watched the film i believe this was her intent mm-hmm. there it's like you're watching and there were points where you could kind of tell that the film was trying to say something and it's trying to point out that the sexualization of very young girls is a problem and it does harm. Um, But I guess two thoughts there. One is I don't think it quite succeeds in doing that. And I'll I'll get to that a bit later. But the second thing is how she tried to do this is deeply, deeply problematic. So Mm -hmm. in trying to critique the sexualization and exploitation of young girls, the film actually does those very things. And it does them in a way that I think probably both harms the girls uh, that were featured, and, and any girl who watches, right? I think when we last spoke, I probably cited Dr. Gail Dines a few times from Culture Reframed, um, but she just has a way of saying things. She says, you can't critique the sexual exploitation of girls if you're going to sexually exploit them to make the film. Yeah. So in an effort to do this sort of cultural critique, she actually perpetuates this exploitation and sexualization of young girls. So that was the one side, but, but I found it so troubling on a number of other levels as well. So the most obvious one is this overt sexualization of these very young girls, but the girls are also really troubled in all sorts of other ways. You know, Mm -hmm. like they're not especially kind to one another. In fact, for a lot of the film, they treat each other terribly. At first, they're very, very mean to Amy, the main character. There are ongoing tensions and conflicts between members of the groups. There's physical fights, there's verbal fights. There's just all sorts of cruelty uh, displayed and that's just amongst themselves. And then, you know, they don't respect authority, whether that's at school, at home, in other places. Uh, There's scenes where they use their sexuality to get out of trouble. They engage in risky online activities like taking and sending naked images. So the main character takes one of herself and sends it out, like broadcasts it out. Uh, There's a scene where she takes one of a boy at school without his knowledge. Um, There's a scene where the girls are watching pornography in the bathroom. You know, like there's just so much here that is that is it's all part of that bigger picture right but it's just really troubling and then there's the fact that amy is from this very religiously conservative community and it's not i don't think it's depicted fairly so all they show is kind of the negative and unflattering aspects of this community until the very end where she kind of comes to the end of her rebellion and um, returns to the relative safety of her family and community. So there's a, there's just so much, right, to this yeah. film.
0: Yeah, one of the things that uh, was surprising to me as I researched it was I thought it was a documentary, but it's interesting that it was a, a film. Um, the, the second thing, just adding to kind of your ending there, my understanding at the very end, she actually has, I don't know, a change of heart or a change of mind, and there's a scene where she puts on like a, a buttoned up sweater, but then buttons it up kind of all the way to be very modest and then goes and grabs a skipping rope and is trying to reclaim some of this innocence. And I think whenever we kind of discuss films, and we talked about this in our kind of pre-show here, is I always like to ask two questions. I like to ask the question, what is the message of the film and is that message true? And it occurs to me that the director has a certain message they're trying to portray, but there also are other messages that can be portrayed that are are true. And so I think, like what you said, the director was trying to portray something, but all of that got lost in the way it was done. So let's deal with that first one first with kind of like, The message of the film what was the director trying to show about sexuality and especially that and and how it affects young young women because oftentimes when we think about pornography when we think about the the vice that it is we just instantly assume uh it's men but this is unique window into how it actually affects and raises young women because this is what they're learning in their young age right they're seeing this on their phones they're watching these videos, seeing the likes explode on Instagram, and they're saying, I could do that. And one of the articles I read basically was saying, you know, these eleven year old girls don't really even understand the moves they're doing, but they know that it's getting likes. And so they emulate it. Yeah. Um, and so if yeah, if you could touch on to some of that.
1: Yeah. So first I wanna say, you know, I believe the filmmaker's motives, right? And I agree hmm. with her motives completely. This culture needs to be critiqued right i only wish she would have consulted with some experts on how to do this in a way that doesn't again as gail dine says use the exact same visual grammar she's trying to critique to do it because in the end i think by sexualizing the children to critique the sexualization of children she's trying to critique the very real threats to young girls of having this unfettered access to social media and the internet and everything it holds. But the way it was done, I think does more harm than good. The critique is there, but, but I was even, you know, me with what I do, right? And how immersed I am in these things. I would say it's an undercurrent. The film doesn't really wrestle with any of these things in an obvious or maybe an effective way. Mm-hmm. right so if you're not looking for it or if you're not sort of predisposed to think in that way to think critically about porn culture and unfortunately the reality is any young girl or boy who happens to watch that right is unlikely to be so predisposed all they're going to see is all these adventures of this very troubled group of young girls who are overtly sexualized in really disturbing ways and you know, except for the lead characters kind of coming to the end of herself at the end of the film, there's no real reckoning with the harm of all Mm. of this. It's so quick, right? It's like, she's in the middle of this awful situation where they're performing this dance that's just terrible and the crowd is (laughs) horrified. Like, it's terrible how overtly sexual their dance is. And she just kind of has this moment where she just she starts to cry she runs home like you say she puts on the sweater and goes out and starts jumping rope like that's the reckoning you know there's no yeah. there's no real kind of delving into these issues or you know working with them at all so you know there are organizations like culture reframed these are professionals who devoted themselves to research and to equipping parents and professionals and teachers to talk to kids about these issues, to prepare mm-hmm. them for this culture. And they're calling for a global conversation on just this, right? Let's talk mm-hmm. about the hypersexualization of girls and boys, but especially girls, and how we can start to help them build resilience. How do we make them resilient to all of the messages and the lessons of this culture? And how mm-hmm. do we do it in ways that don't further exploit or hypersexualize them? So there's all kinds of things that rightly need to be critiqued. And this is where we can talk a little more generally about the sexualization of children. So I think as we talked about last time, you know, girls are taught from, well, increasingly from pornography, as I think we talked about last time, but from mass media. So advertising, movies, television, magazines, social media, um, they're taught from a really young age that their bodies, that their appearance and their attractiveness are the most important thing about mm-hmm. them. That everything else about them— their intelligence, their kindness, their courage, their compassion, creativity, athletic ability—you know, whatever it is—any of these other things are of much less importance. They're taught that their bodies are a kind of currency and we see that in cuties i think i mentioned there's a scene where the girls use their sexuality i hate to even say that because they're so young but they're just doing what they've seen modeled online and in mass media they use this to get out of trouble so you know sexualization defines a person based on their sexual identity and their attractiveness and we see this throughout our culture it's problematic for any person but especially so for children. So it's this process that, you know, it's kind of in the air we breathe, right? And it, it shapes individual and cultural attitudes about sex, um, their values and their behaviors. You know, kids grow up seeing themselves more and more as sexual objects and others the same way, right? Rather than yeah. seeing themselves and others as unique, multifaceted human beings. You know, to objectify a person is to take away everything that is unique, special, even quirky about someone, right? And reduce them to a function. So as you said, all of this is inextricably linked to the porn industry and how it's infiltrated our culture, because that's what porn does. It sexualizes, it objectifies to the exclusion of anything else about them you know, while it may, and it does in a lot of cases, highlight race, age, sexual orientation, family relationships, even religion, Mm -hmm. it does so only in order to sexualize those things. So it trains us to see others as sexual objects and to view ourselves in the same way. It's, you know, it's just a real problem. And so this is what this is this is the air we breathe it's the water we swim in right this is what Mm -hmm. girls are immersed in and it's like this whole culture again i'm going to quote gail dines it's like everything girls see tells us that girls are split essentially girls and women are split essentially into two groups those who are desirable and those who are invisible and the choices on how to be successfully female have been reduced to that, right? Like you're going to be sexually desirable or you're not. And even highly successful, accomplished, talented women are evaluated on the basis of this. It doesn't matter if you're an actress, a musician, an athlete, a race car driver, or the leader of a country, right? (laughs) Pop culture sends the message that what ultimately matters about you is how attractive, or sexy, or desirable you are.
0: Right, and this same culture is also telling us that your sexuality, the, the further you push that, the more liberating it is. Like that you, you become, the more you push sexuality, and the the sexier you can be, the, the freer you can be from the shackles of everything bad religion or conservatism everything that's not progressive that our culture views as wrong or regressive they say actually the one of the most like one of the the things that is it's just getting into a little bit of i guess discussion on feminism one of the great pains that i see of it is the message right now one of the messages is that the more sexualized you can be the more free you can be and that that's like a currency and so you see this, I was reading a book called um, The Madness of Crowds by Douglas Murray. Have you heard of this one?
1: I've heard of it, but I haven't read it.
0: Yeah. So he, he was doing a critique on feminism. And one of the points he made is he was saying that there is this weird, so he, he used this illustration of Drew Barrymore way back in like, I think the early 90s or something when she was pretty young. Like, I think she was like 19 or so. And she was on David Letterman, and it turned out to be David Letterman's birthday. And so in front of the whole crowd, in front of Letterman, she begins to stand on his desk and do this overtly sexualized dance. And at the end of it, turns away from the crowd, but reveals her breasts to David Letterman. And it's all like hooting and hollering and cheering. And it was this moment of like, Murray goes on to say, and he quotes Barrymore later on, right? It's this moment of liberation that she can do whatever she wants with her body, right? And then later on, like, I think she's on it 15 years later, right? And she's talking to Letterman, and that conversation came up. She said something like, oh, yeah, the last time I was on here, I did something pretty bad. And I think he asked her about it. He said, oh, yeah, so tell me how that has affected you since. She said, you know, I look back on that video, and it was fun. And I I felt liberated, and, like, I felt sexy, and I felt... And the message she's saying, she's like, I'm a mom now. I have I have a child now, but... I still look back on that with fondness and this is, this is her like at 19 being like kind of questionably like, "Oh, that's, you know, underage, which and then I think with the cuties thing, that takes it to a whole nother level. But this lie that your sexualization is liberating is everywhere.
1: Hey, I have so much to say. <laughs> yeah. So let me first, you know, that I want to defend feminism, the original, feminism, and one of my survivor friends said it best, said feminism was never supposed to be about my individual liberation or freedom or whatever. It was about bettering the level of life for all women. Mm -hmm. So that's feminism to me. Those are the original feminists who fought for equality and inclusion and all of those things. I don't consider so much of what is out there today calling itself feminism to be feminism. This is going to be a bit of a rabbit trail, but it it goes back to what Gail Dine said about using the same visual grammar you're trying to critique, right? To do the critique. I watched a very long rambling video by Russell Brand a few weeks back, and he was talking about a new... I haven't watched it, but it got all kinds of attention. It was a new music video. I think it was Cardi B and someone else, another female artist. And I gather they're calling it a celebration of all those things you just said, right? Female sexual power and reclaiming it. And what they're trying to do is say, we are consistently, particularly in this genre of music, we are consistently portrayed as submissive, we're objectified and so on, right? So what they're trying to do is, be the ones with the power, but to do that, right? They're using that exact the same visual grammar. So at the, you know, I don't know if you watched a Russell Brand video, but he kind of he kind of goes on and on and on. But
0: yeah, he's a clever guy.
1: But at the end of it, he says, "But is it liberation if you're doing the very same things? Like if everything you're doing is still all geared." whether you're trying to reclaim it or not, it's still all geared for the male gaze. It's still all the same overt sexualization and all of these things. You're just reclaiming it and calling it your own, right? But is that really liberation? So that's kind of where this new wave of feminism is today. And we see it in discussions about prostitution, right? That, Mm -hmm. you know, this is a choice. It's female empowerment and all these things. Um, So it's a real... I think it's a hijacking, frankly.
0: Yeah, it's a hijacking, and it's a dark irony that the very thing that they were trying to fight against, they become. And they're fed the lie that, well, if you're the one doing it, then then clearly you're in control, you're in the driver's seat, and you're the winner. But it's like, to use a different analogy, it's like someone who is a slave now basically saying, okay, you're free, but they're saying, no, but now I choose to be a slave. It's like, at the end of the day, they're still a slave. And yeah. right. And, and so in an over-sexualized culture, they're choosing to, to act in a way that's still, that, that, to use that slave language, regressing. Right? Like, it's, it's still regression. It's not, oh, it's just so backwards.
1: Yeah. When, it, when our prostitution laws were being challenged at the Supreme Court of Canada, Uh, I was going to the hearings, but it was so full. Like it's it's quite a small room. So there was overflow in the lobby. And so I found myself out there hanging out, watching on a big screen with a bunch of, um, you know, women currently in prostitution. And they weren't sure, you know, is she with us? Is she not with us? I didn't really know. So I ended up getting into a conversation um, with one of them. And she said, you know, what's your position? And I told her and I said, I, I, I guess I just think that we can do a lot better for women, right? Than saying prostitution is your best and only option, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's at an income or or whatever. And, you know, she just kind of shrugged and she said, that's patriarchy. You know, you got to live with it and live within it. So it's that same kind of, this is the, this is the ocean we're swimming in and this is what, you know, it has in store for us. So we might as well try and claim it as our own, right? It's that same thing you were just talking about. And it's so, it's so troubling, but, but it is, it's a, it's like a, it's an acquiescence to, to all of these things that culture has told us that females are to be and how they should be. Mm
0: -hmm. It's
1: really, yeah, it's so troubling.
0: Yeah. So circling back then, back to, to Cuties, as you think about the movie, I think there's a few things that we can say are true about the movie. The first one is that the director's aim to portray a, the harms of, a, of an over-sexualized culture, right? She's true in that. She's true in trying to point that out in the sense that we do live in a pretty messed up time. I think we can also say at the same time that it's true that she should never have um, used these close-ups of these young girls and exposing them in this movie. I think we cannot tolerate, we cannot accept that as something good. And so I think it's we, we're right to say it's true that that is wrong as well. And so in the one sense, I'm like, I can appreciate that she's trying to bring awareness to the sexualization, especially of young girls in this movie. But I think what we've just discussed, it's completely lost in the way she did it and unfortunately isn't going to to help the cause. If anything, it's actually, like you mentioned, what if your other young girls watch this? It's actually just going to pour some more fuel in the fire, teach them a little bit more, and it's, you know, to, to the... To the person who already views this as wrong, they're going to see this as they're going to be like, we cannot affirm this. But to the person who doesn't have a a thought on this, right, like a young kid, they're just seeing, like you mentioned, this exciting adventure of these girls going around and having fun and and I want to be like the girls in the movie, right? And so there's a huge danger there. Would you add anything to these truths?
1: Yeah, they're just you've hit it exactly right. If, if a young girl is watching this, it's just more of the same message to them, right? They're not going to think critically about it. It's just more of, oh yeah, okay, this is, this is our reality. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is what life is like when you're 11 or 12. You know, it, it's just, it's so, so damaging. You know, and we don't ever really escape it. You know, I, I'm in my, gosh, I guess I have to say late forties now, but this pressure never lets up that you, that, you know, this is what you're supposed to be in this culture. And, you know, I still feel it sometimes as, you know, a woman in her forties with a pretty solid sense of myself. So what happens to an 11 or 12 year old girl growing up in this Mm -hmm. environment and who sees this? Like, Mm -hmm. it's just, it is so, so damaging. The American Psychological Association a number of years back identified something called self-objectification, right? So when girls are growing up in this culture that tells them your body is a thing that exists to please others, they adapt, right? And they, they kind of conform to this and what we see is this self objectification, and honestly, a quick trip to any social media site, right will give you a sense of just how prevalent this is. They're buying into this idea that their value lies primarily in their attractiveness. you know there's they're trying to get the likes, trying to get the the attention on social media and they're mm-hmm. they're buying it because they don't see an alternative. We talked a little bit earlier about those choices. It seems like a real binary choice either you're attractive or you're invisible and invisibility for your average teenage girl is not a good thing being Mm -hmm. visible is pretty central to um, the identity of a lot of teenage girls and we have all kinds of research that tells us what the effects of this are physical and mental well-being you know i mean we could go on there's negative body image they think they're too heavy they're too thin they're too curvy they're not curvy enough they're not attractive enough Um, Mm -hmm. this can lead to eating disorders to low self-esteem or depression sexting right which we see in the film they feel pressured to send sexually explicit photos of themselves because their culture tells them that's the way to get and hold a boy's attention and affection And boys Mm -hmm. get caught up in this too And of course, like this behavior is risky on so many levels. Um, Those photos can get shared. Sometimes they get shared widely and the results can just be devastating.
0: Definitely. You know, one encouragement of that is I've, in some other reading, I've learned that that has actually gone down, that for at least generation Z, they are less likely to be doing that, which is a good thing, largely because... Of the this the tariff like they don't want it to be shared everywhere, and so my understanding is like they actually are drinking less they're going to parties less because they don't want to be the one who is shared around, yeah, which is like an interesting byproduct of that um that's just an offhanded comment, but that I found that in the books called iGen by gene Twangy so as we i guess put a we come in for a landing here we we've kind of a Affirm that this movie is enormously problematic, but it's displaying a problematic culture. Can I say one more
1: thing about the problematic culture?
0: Yeah, because this is
1: important because it's kind of how where we started, and so I think just Mm -hmm. to wrap it up. So the other problem with this sexualization is that it's like it's grooming at a cultural level. So there's damage to their self-esteem and sense of self and all these other things, but it also normalizes sexual behavior and talk when these things should be anything but normal. Mm -hmm. And that kind of cultural grooming leaves them vulnerable to abuse and exploitation and predation. And I think that's really important here. Also, um, just talking about, you know, if young girls are watching this movie and, you know, all of the things they see in mass media, there's a recovering porn addict who, uh, she's a powerful anti-porn advocate. She warned at an international summit a year or two ago that pornography, and I would add a pornified mass media and culture, Mm -hmm. is grooming the next generation of trafficking victims girls who will give themselves over to abuse and exploitation because they think that's what they're supposed to do. So I think there are just so many things we have to contend with and understand the far reaching and very serious impacts of this kind of broad cultural sexualization of children.
0: Yeah. And to add to that, this, i like ideas have consequences.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and this idea that you can be free and liberated through your sexuality will have, and is having enormous consequences and it's going to perpetuate through the generations uh, as time goes on. So
1: yeah. And it's um, anything but liberating, right? <laughs> like it yeah, promises exactly. liberation, but it actually does the opposite. Yeah.
0: It, it's a trap. And so, the, the thing, just as we come for a close here, um, I think the church has an interesting place in this discussion because with the teachings of Christ, the teachings of the Bible, we affirm the fact that all humans have human dignity It doesn't and, 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 and human value. It doesn't matter the shape of your body. It doesn't matter your genetic makeup, right, and, and certain things that whether you're tall or short or or so thin or wide, right? In the eyes of God, you are beloved, you are his child, you're perfect, right? That's he, he loves you, and the Father loves his children. And so, as Christians, we're the only people in the world who can actually claim to have this acceptance, this deep peace. And the thing we can proclaim, too, is the fact that in Christ we see no one else live in a way that was so liberating to women. I mean, he he went and sat with the prostitutes. He, he met with them. He spent time with them. Everything that Jesus did was actually showing the human value of them. He said, I, I value not because of your body, but because of who you are. And Jesus values this so much that he gives up his body so that they can find value in who they really are as a child of God. And so as Christians, we have an amazing, amazing message to proclaim, and so I'm thankful for the work that you're doing, and um, we'll be praying for you to you know to, to continue to be fighting the fight because ideas have consequences, but you have an amazing opportunity to help and shift some of the you know the laws and everything happening that's allowing this to happen and you know as, as, as God leaves and moves, I'm sure he's going to use you in so many different ways so.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. On that note, something Mm -hmm. to pray for. I just wanted to alert you that there has been a bill tabled in the Senate. It's a private senator's bill. Number is Bill S203. And that bill, it's called an Act to Restrict Young Persons' Online Access to Sexually Explicit material. Wow. So we've got some information on our website. We've got a sample letter that you can send to show the senator your support or to send to senators in your province or region and say, hey, this is on the table and it's important. This would be such a critical step in starting Mm. to provide some protection so that kids can't just stumble into these sites online. You know, you would have to show that somehow you verify that you are of age in order to get in. So that that's one of the most exciting legislative (laughs) things to happen in a while. Yeah. So for sure.
0: Amazing. um,
1: Yeah. We have information on our website on that.
0: Great. So then anyone who's listening here can check that out and and get read up on that. And uh, yeah, be praying that that goes through so that we can help, you know, and, and, and begin to make the wrongs right. Yeah. Yeah, so, well, Julia, thank you for your time. Thank you for this discussion, and we look forward to speaking again at some point.
1: Yeah, it's always a pleasure.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Julia Baisley. Uh, I know I did. It was, I was really excited to have the discussion, and during it was learning a lot. So I hope that was a blessing to you. If you want to know more information uh, about the work she does, you can find that at evangelicalfellowship.ca. And you can find all the information about that bill, even, that we briefly mentioned and talked about. Make sure to join us again next week for another episode. See you then. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hi, Ben Lowell, CEO
1: of Back to the Bible Canada's In-Doubt. You know, every week our aim is to engage young people in a conversation around matters of life and faith and culture. Most recently, our hosts Daniel and Isaac have met with Christian pastors and leaders to discuss biblical insights on sex, a conversation about the importance of human rights, and the growing dark impression pornography is making on individual lives and our society at large. These are conversations critical for young Christian adults to be involved in. Young people wanting to grow in faith or or just those who want to understand how the Bible speaks into the most essential and timely issues facing them and a new generation. For current programs or to listen in on past programs, head to indoubt.ca in Canada and indoubt.com in the U.S. And for expanded programs, sign up for the Indoubt podcast.